Well, hello, everyone, and welcome today to Ridge Church Online. We're glad that you're joining us from wherever you're joining us, whenever you're joining us. My name is Dan. I'm a pastor of youth and young adults, and it's great to be with you this morning. Uh, today, we're going to be in the book of Philippians in chapter 4. So if you've got a Bible, if you've got an app, you can flip there now, because today we're going to be wrapping up our series in Paul's letter to the Philippians. And it's this series that we've called Imitate. And this whole series all the way through has been about what imitation means and what it looks like and kind of redeeming that word and saying, okay, imitation, it's not a knockoff, it's not a cheap version of, it's, it's what it means for us to be disciples of Jesus. And if you remember back, Paul opened his letter to the Philippians with an encouragement. And most of the letter is encouraging, and, and Paul opens it with this celebration. He says, every time I think of you in Philippians 1, I remember to thank God. Every time I think of you, I remember to thank God. And, and as I think about how we started this series, right, about six months ago, when we started looking at the book of Philippians, in that verse in particular, we were in the middle of like what felt like the deepest pit of the COVID-19 pandemic. Things were locked down. Things were shut down. There was nobody in this room. Every sermon I gave or Jonathan gave was to a camera like this. And, and it was this interesting time and season. But over the course of the last six months, as we've walked through, it's been such a joy to watch what God has still done. In spite of lockdowns, in spite of challenges, in spite of the fear and anxiety that surrounds us, uh, I, as your pastor, have been really grateful and thankful um, that my heart echoes the same as Paul's. Every time I remember you, every time I think of you, I remember to thank God because we've seen through the course of this series and through the course of what Jesus has done some incredible stories. We've seen the impact of what God has done through this series, and it's been really profound and beautiful to me because it's been the real stuff of life, right? We've talked about how we navigate conflict as Christians. We've talked about what it means to follow Jesus even when we're suffering. We've talked about what it looks like to be kind, to be loving, to be humble. All these things that just take place in the context of our relationships every day. This is just the stuff of life. And, and so what's amazing about this series is, is that it's spoken to what discipleship is and not what discipleship is in some define the term, sound really cool, sound really smart kind of way, but in what Jeff Vanderstel, the pastor in the Pacific Northwest, calls the working out of the gospel in the everyday stuff of life. That's what this series has been so well. But there's one area that we're going to be talking about today, and, and it's an area that we don't love to talk about in the church. But it's an area that I think is important that we talk on, and we're walking through the Bible step by step. And this is where God's Word has led us, and so we need to talk about it. It's this thing that, though we don't talk about it much, actually consumes much of our thought, much of our heart, much of our desires. We spend hours thinking about it, years working to get more of it, and in the moment-to-moment -moment rhythms of our day, we feel anxiety about it or excitement about it, or whatever it may be. And if you haven't figured it out already, today we're talking about money. We're talking about money. And specifically, we're talking about giving and generosity. And Paul's going to write to the Philippians as he closes out his letter to them, and he's going to talk about money and how the Philippians have given generously in a really beautiful way. He, he's talking about it because it matters. I, I think it's really interesting 
um, that I ended up on this passage. And, and when I noticed that my schedule landed me on this passage, I gotta be honest, I felt a little bit of tension. I'll be, I'll be very real with you. Um, I am speaking from a place of weakness. This is not an area or a concept or a part of my discipleship I feel like I've made a ton of progress in in my life. It's still something Jesus is working out slowly in my heart. I feel very materialistic. When I read this passage that Paul writes to the Philippians, I don't feel like my life quite lines up with this yet. But nonetheless, this is what the Word of God talks about. And so it's we, what we as a church want to talk about with you. Um, John Wesley, with his tongue-in-cheek, says that the last part of a man to be converted tends to be his wallet. And I know, like I said, that's been true of me. When Jaleesa and I first got married, um, we were, like many young couples, not super rich. And, And so we got married, and I remember that first paycheck, and it was so exciting. We have a shared bank account. We're a couple. We're a family. This is so amazing. And I remember Jaleesa saying, okay, make sure we tithe first, right? She said, make sure that the first thing that we do with the money that we have is give to what God is doing in the world. And I remember in that moment being like, what do you mean first? Like, like actually, I need to pay rent. We need to figure out groceries. We need to make sure car insurance is paid. We need to set aside a little bit for like spending. All those kind of things. Let me take care of my needs and then I'll be generous. And, and Jaleesa pushed me really hard that, no, 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 giving is actually what we do first. This is not something that comes natural to me. And, and besides my own flaws and, and weaknesses in these areas, I also want to acknowledge that it's a little bit uh, uncomfortable when a pastor gets up on a stage and holds a Bible and speaks to the church about money, right? And there's a number of reasons for that, but one of the biggest ones, I think, is that many people, men and women, have used platforms like this and have used the words of God and have twisted them and have hurt people, and have taken money, and and done things in a very uh, hurtful way that has negatively impacted people, and negatively impacted the gospel of Christ, and we'll talk more about that. But I do want to just, before we hop in, acknowledge the tension, acknowledge the, as you see me, a pastor, who my salary comes out of the giving and generosity of this church, I want to acknowledge that tension before we hop in. I, I get it. If red flags are popping up, if you're going, oh, who is he to tell me about money? Um, I understand. Uh, I really do. But, but what we want to do is really submit ourselves to the Word of God. And so with that said, we want to hop in to what Paul writes in Philippians 4. Because what we'll see today is that Paul is speaking about money and generosity and what it looks like for us practically as disciples of Jesus, right? He, he's writing about it because our faithfulness to God and specifically our faithfulness to Jesus actually includes our money, right? Your faith involves your money. And I know we don't love to hear that, and I know we feel like money's private, and it's my bank account, and it's my money, and it's mine, mine, mine. But here's the deal. Jesus spent 25% of his teachings talking about money. Again and again and again, we see rich people, poor people, middle class people come to Jesus and talk about money. And so if we're going to submit ourselves to say we want to be disciples of Jesus, we want to follow Jesus no matter what, we don't get to avoid it. We don't get to say, that's my own thing. Nobody gets to talk about that. Nobody gets to touch that. That's not up for discussion. That's up, up to me. It's what Jesus talks about, and so it's something that matters to our discipleship. And so let's hop in and read Paul's concluding statements to this church they love so deeply, starting in Philippians 4, 14, if you'd like to read along. Verse 14, Yet, Paul writes, it was kind of you to share in my troubles. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, or in the very beginning of you receiving the gospel, when you're a new 
Christian, right when you accepted Christ, when I left Macedonia, which is where Philippi was, he's saying, when I left your church after planning it, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift. See, Paul clarifying, I'm not after your money for me, but I seek the fruit that increases your credit. I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied. I received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. They are a fragrant offering. They are a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So that's the passage. That's what Paul is writing about. And what he's saying here. In a follow-up to what Jonathan talked about last week, this idea that Paul is saying, I can be content with anything. I can be content with much or I can be content with little. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, whether that's a lot or a little. Paul is saying, I don't need anything, yet he opens this passage with, it was good of you to share in my troubles. It was kind of you. There is a great and deep value that comes from us being generous, from us giving, partnering, not just in our time, not just in our thoughts, not just in our prayers, but financially with the ministry of the gospel. His main point per se is quite simple. Your generosity is vital to your discipleship to Jesus. If we are going to follow Jesus, what we do with our money matters. And and I wish I could tell you, no, 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 it's your money, you do whatever you want with it, it's none of my business, but it does matter And it doesn't just matter to me as as a pastor. It doesn't just matter to our church and our budget. No, it matters to God. And so that's why we want to talk about it today. And and we also want to talk about it because generosity is not just something we do. It's a core part of who our God is. It's a core part of who not only Jesus is, but God as a whole. We worship and serve the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit living together in relational harmony. And Genesis 1, the creation of the world, comes from an overflow of the goodness and love that exists in the harmony that is the Trinity, and that creates. And what is Genesis 1 but creation followed by it is good, it was good, it was good because God creates good things because he's generous. And when he creates people, he places them there, and he says, this is yours, this is for you to operate, to live in, to have dominion over, to partner with me. He fills it with beauty and majesty and what we need and says it was good. That is the kind of generosity God has, but even more than that, and if you've been around this church for any amount of time, you've probably heard James um, preach about this idea that God is generous in salvation. John 3.16, we all know that verse. For God so loved the world, he what? He gave He gave his only son. Our salvation is an act of God's generosity. And so we can't avoid generosity as something that if we want to imitate Jesus is a part of our faith. We serve a generous God. So if we're going to follow a generous God, we must be a people of generosity. But as Jonathan explained so well last week, we live in a world that tells us the exact opposite, right? We live in a world that says you need more, you need better. It's not about anybody else. It's about you. Greed is celebrated. You need more stuff. You need a bigger home. You need a better vacation. You need more security in your bank account. You need more. You are conditioned to believe that what you need more, but if we're honest with ourselves, most of us actually buy into that. Most of us are not content with just what we need to make our rent or to make our groceries. We we want more. 
Because we compare and we see, oh, I want a TV that big. I want a house that big. Oh, why couldn't I have a car like that? Because we don't become content because just like the marketing that Jonathan talked about last week, we always want something more. We need more, 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 more. But here's the truth of this passage. And uh, John Mark Comer, a pastor out of Portland, puts it this way. Generosity is God's cure for greed. The greed that we experience, that we are conditioned to in our culture, is actually curable slowly but surely through the work of generosity that the Holy Spirit brings about in our hearts. And so we cannot avoid or dance around the reality that God cares about our giving. So with that said, the rest of our time, what I want to walk through is just a couple of observations about what generosity is about from this passage. And so if you're taking notes, there's going to be four things we're going to talk about and how generosity plays into each one of them. And so firstly, a few words on each. Number one, generosity is about partnership. Let me read again from verse 15. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, or in other translations, from the first time you heard the gospel from me, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent help for my needs once and again. And I won't read the passage, but there's other moments in Paul's writings, particularly in the letter to the Corinthians, where he talks about the church in Philippi and how they're generous. And they're generous not out of being rich, but out of being generous. Right? There's this encouragement that Paul says that you partnered with me. There's this encouragement that Paul says, it's not just giving me money. It's not just supplying my needs. You're actually partnering with me. And so what you need to know today is that when you give to the church, you are not simply paying me or buying lights or keeping the air conditioning on when it's working. You are partnering in the mission of God in Maple Ridge. You're not simply giving money to do these random things. Paul says it earlier in the book of Philippians um, in chapter 1. He says, you have been my partners. And again, he's emphasizing it here. You're active and you're invested. We're in the mission of God together. Here's what I want you to know today. Our goal and our vision and our desire and the reason we talk about money and the reason we remind you to give is not because we are worried about a big budget. Like, let me make that super duper clear right off the bat. I really don't care how big our budget is. I don't care how nice the seats are in this building. I don't care what the renovation looks out looks like on the outside of the building. All those things are great and cool, but here's the one thing, the one filter that every decision, everything, every financial choice that we make goes through as a staff, as a leadership, as a board. It's this one statement, you've heard us say it so many times before. Our goal is simply this, that our city would know Jesus. Done. Period. Done. That's the goal. That's the vision. That's what you're partnering with. You're not doing something because you have to. You're not doing something to get a program that you want. You're not manipulating us as leaders. That's not what giving's about. It's about partnering with what God is doing in Maple Ridge and through our church. It's not about the name of Ridge Church. It's about the name of Jesus. We don't have a vision statement that says we want our city to know Ridge Church. We have a statement that says we want our city to know Jesus. And whether that's youth who are in high schools, thousands of kids who don't know Jesus, whether that's pedals and serving people who are low income and need more help, whether that's reaching our coworkers and our friends and our families, that's what we care about. And when you give, that's what you're partnering with. You're not just giving and you're not just saying, here's some money, go do the work. You're partnering with us to say, let's do this together because we're the church, we're the body. Paul is saying, thank you for doing this because you are a partner with me. That's what our giving is about. That's what he's asking. He, he's not there saying, 
I want your money so I can do ministry. He's saying, hey, will you join me in what God is already doing? Will you join me in the work that God is doing in our city? And so hear me when I say this as one of the pastors at this church. When we invite you to give, it is not to say, give me, Dan, money. Give Jonathan money. Give our staff team money. We are saying, will you partner with us? Will you partner with us in the mission and the work of the kingdom of God in this city with your money, with your time, with your gifts, with everything that you have? Would you partner with us? Would you be a part of what God is doing in this city? Because I believe God is doing an incredible thing. Story after story, baptism stories that we heard a couple weeks ago, stories of spiritual breakthroughs, stories of conflict resolved. God is doing that work in our city and we want you to be a part of it. And that's what giving is about. It's about partnership. And so Paul, in this passage, applauds the Philippians for their partnership and the mission of God. But he really wants to clarify. He says in verse 17, not that I seek the gift. It's not about the gift. It's not about getting enough money for me. Here's the deal. Whatever amount we have, whatever our budget is, come an AGM at this church, it is enough. God will use what it is for what God wants to do in our city. I'm not worried about that because God has declared it enough. And, and so what Paul is saying is he's saying, I'm not after your money, but, he writes, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. And this is the statement that brings us to our second idea. So again, if you're taking notes, number two, generosity is about stewardship. Generosity is about stewardship. And this verse, along with many others that I'll speak to in just a second, Paul is indicating that there's actually more the Philippians or any church uh, person or group for that matter, there's more that they can get, right? He says it right there. I I want more to be added to your account. I want more fruit for you. And And what happens, what the danger is, is that a verse like that can be twisted, We can take and and just pull that out and say, okay, that's the goal. When we give, we get. When we give this, God's going to give us this. And and the danger is simply this, and many of you will be familiar, but some of you may not. It's this concept called the prosperity gospel. And the prosperity gospel is a fast-growing movement in Western Christianity. It's only really come up in the last hundred years here, where it's incredibly wealthy and people are addicted to money. And what it does is it takes a verse like this and it twists God into a genie in a bottle that can be leveraged into getting what I want for me. Right? Think of televangelists in fancy suits with beautiful smiles who tell you if you just give this much, if you sow your seed, God's going to give you this much. And my friends, I want you to know that that is a perversion and a mockery of the true gospel. To say to someone that if you give this, God will give you this. Is not something that they know. It's not something that they have the authority on. What God gives you is up to God. We cannot twist God's arm. We cannot say, here's 10 bucks, where's my 100? We are invited to partner with God, but we are not invited to manipulate God. And, and in the 90s, 80s and 90s, there's a ton of these scandals, right, of televangelists who are telling people, if you give this, God will give you this. And it turns out they were just taking people's money for themselves. If you give, God will, and it's just not true. As one pastor put it, anytime we put any word in front of the gospel, whether it's prosperity, whether it's health and wealth, whatever it may be, if it's not Jesus, we have a problem. But what Paul does want us to get here, and this is where a verse like this gets tricky, is that there is something that we need to know here. There is something that God wants us to know. What Paul is saying is that we get here, not that we are owners, 
Not that we manipulate God to get what we want, but rather that we're invited to be partners with God, which means we get to be stewards of what is already God's. We are stewards of what the king has entrusted us. And then he will trust us with more. And what is a steward? A steward is simply a person who looks after somebody else's stuff. Whether that's big, whether that's small, whether that's little, whether that's large. A steward just looks after someone else's stuff. Think of the parable in Matthew 25 when Jesus tells this story of of these three servants who the master gives different amounts of money to. And a number of the servants, two of them in particular, go and they invest it and they increase it and they make it larger. And when they come back, we often focus in that story on the one who doesn't, right? The one who's punished because he doesn't do anything with it. He sits on it. He's afraid. He has this scarcity mindset. But it's really interesting. Look at how the master replies to the ones who did well with the money. Well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus says, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's joy. Or in other translations, come and share in your master's happiness. Come and share. What we really need to realize is that every dollar that God places in our management is for a purpose. It's not our money. He doesn't say, good job with the money. Here's a bonus. Buy yourself a TV. Go on vacation. Get what you want. Buy some new clothes. Go on a shopping spree. But what he does say is, come and share with me in my joy. And what the master's joy is, is bringing about what the master wants to bring about. So he says, come and share. And it's not just in parables. Jesus flat out himself says it in Luke chapter 6. Give, he says, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And this is one of those verses, it gets twisted. Well, if you give more, God's going to give you more. And it's just not the way it works. God is looking to bless those who will be good partners in his ministry, in his kingdom. God isn't giving people more money. God isn't making people rich so that they can be rich for their own sake. He is making people, he is blessing people. And I believe God gives people money so that they can be generous and kind to the world at large. I know people like that. I'm thankful for people like that. God is looking for partners who will work with him in the work that he is doing to be generous, to be good stewards of his money. When I was 18 years old, relatively new Christian, learning what uh, called the ministry felt like, trying to figure out what does God want for me in this life. A man named Bill, who's a real estate agent at the church I spent a little bit of time in before I moved away from my hometown of Kamloops. A man named Bill asked to meet me for coffee, and, and I didn't know Bill. Bill wasn't a youth leader, which is where I spent most of my time. I hadn't hung out with him or his family. I'd never, like, chatted with him, really, other than a quick hello here or there. I didn't really know anything about this guy. And I met with him for coffee, and we sat down, and he started asking me about, hey, wh- where do you see God working in your life, and, and what do you feel like God's calling you to? And I heard this rumor that you might be thinking about Bible college, and, and you might be thinking about trying to pursue ministry, and, and tell me a little bit about that. And it was a little bit like, I don't even really know this guy. What the heck is going on? And about 10, 15 minutes into the conversation, he just stopped me, and he said, hey, I, I don't want to grill you with a bunch of questions, but I, I actually have this money that I want to give to you. I want to give to you so that you can go to Bible college. And it's not everything, but I think it's going to help with your tuition. And, and it was a much larger gift than anyone would expect from a good friend, much less a near stranger. And it's one of the kindest things I've ever received. See, what I think is God actually is willing to trust people like Bill with more money because people like Bill aren't interested in building Bill's kingdom. People like Bill are interested in building God's kingdom. And they're willing to steward God's money well to that end as partners 
in the gospel. And that's what Paul is trying to get across. It's an encouragement to the Philippians. God is going to bless you with more because he can trust you with more. Not for yourself, but for others. In another letter, Paul writes to a different church. He's dealing with the opposite problem. To the Corinthian church, he writes about selfishness and, and how they're hoarding money for themselves. And here's what he writes. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. He who supplies the seed to the sower and the bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, right? And that we get tripped up on that, like, we'll sow your seed, do this, God will give you. No, 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 listen, listen to the next line. You will be enriched in every way. Okay, that sounds good, but why? Listen to the second sentence. To be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God you will be enriched in every way. I believe that can mean financially. But the most important thing we need to understand is the second half of that sentence. Why would God bless someone financially? That they might be generous in every way. You'll be enriched in every way, that you might be generous in every way. We have to get the back half of that sentence or we'll be trapped in a selfish delusion that God owes us something that is a pure gift. And my friend, if you are breathing today, then it is a pure gift. The clothes on your back, the home that you live in, the money in your bank account, the air that you breathe is a gift from God. God doesn't owe you anything. He loves you, but he does not owe you. And so Paul is trying to get us back to the reality of this. The prosperity gospel tells us that we give in order to get. Sure, I'll give, I'll donate, I'll contribute, but just so I can get, just so I can manipulate God. But the true gospel says that we get from God in order to give. That God gives us good gifts, that we would share good gifts with others, whether that's financial, whether that's time, whether that's our gifts, whatever it may be. And it's in that place, it's in that place when we're serious about what it means to give to others that we can see the third point and where God most powerfully shows up. So number three, generosity is about provision. Generosity is about understanding and experiencing in our lives that God is what the Old Testament, the original language is, is Jehovah Jireh. He's the God who provides. He is the God who provides for our every need. Paul's going to write it. He says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Jesus Christ. I remember when we were first married, and, and like I was saying, I was struggling with this idea of generosity and, and giving and what my responsibility was as a Christian. And when I started as an intern, I was a college student, um, and I would be making $500 a month, which I knew ahead of time. Nobody tricked me into that, um, and I knew it was a generous gift from the church I was serving at. Um, many interns make $0. I was making a little bit, and at the time, Jaleesa was in between jobs and searching for a new job, and so for a few months, there was a period where our total combined income uh, for two people living in a rental suite was $500 a month. That was it. That was the number of dollars that came in. And when I look back on that season, um, there's so many moments that I wonder, how the heck did we make it through? Like, the interior is cheaper than the lower mainland where we live now, but it's still more expensive than $500 a month. But through the gifts and kindness of the saints in our church, through the love and care of friends, through miraculous provision of God, we made it through that season. And so many of us want to experience that kind of provision because seriously, it changes your faith. It lights your heart ablaze with this hope and desire and, and you know, reality that God is going to provide. And that's an amazing thing. And if you've been there, you know what that feels like. We want to have this flesh and bone reality that God is going to provide. 
Because we want to experience the promise that Paul gives us, that God will supply every need, that God will show up, that God will provide for us. And I don't know your financial situation, and I understand after the last couple of years, it's fair to feel anxious and fearful about money. I'm a young adult with student loans. I get it. It's fair to feel those anxieties, those things. That makes sense. But we start to ask these questions. Will there be enough? Can I provide for my kids? Can I provide for my family? Will I be okay? What if something happens? But what, do I, what I do know, what I do know is that we serve a God who provides. But the lies of the enemy and the lies of our culture start ringing out in our heads And we hear these voices, whether conscious or not, that say things like, you won't have enough. It's too costly to give. It's not my job. Somebody else needs to do it. Or I need that thing. I need the latest iPhone. I need a bigger TV. I need a longer vacation. I need, I need, I need things that we just simply don't. Or we say, I'll wait. Generosity is okay, but I'll wait. And I'll see if I have anything left over. And if there's any scraps on the table, then maybe God can have those. Which brings us to point number four, and this is our final one. Generosity is about worship. We're invited to worship God in spirit and in truth with our whole beings, not with our leftovers. See, the language that Paul uses is really important that we understand. It's easy to skim over if you didn't catch it. Let me read a verse again. Paul writes, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. So he's saying, hey, I'm good. I have enough. I'm okay. I'm, I'm covered. I'm provided for. Then he writes, But the gifts you sent, they're a fragrant offering, a sacrifice pleasing and acceptable to God. See, this language is ripped directly from the Old Testament and is ripped from the sacrificial system, right? Where where the Israelite people and their priests would take an animal and they would sacrifice it to God and that was how they restored relationship between Yahweh and his people. Worship has always been about sacrifice. And I know that now in 21st century Western Christianity, we sit in these pews and we think about worship as whether or not I like the song Pastor Seth is playing and whether or not I think the drums are too loud and whether or not I like it and whether or not it's good for me and whether or not it's this, that, or the other thing. Worship has always been about sacrifice, not about your personal preference. Worship has been about sacrifice from the very beginning because worship flows out of our hearts which have been transformed by sacrifice. They've been transformed by the work of Jesus and that's what giving is. It is a rhythm of sacrificial worship to Jesus. Not because we have to, not because God loves us more, not because you're a better Christian based on how many dollars you give each week or month, but because it's how we get ourselves in rhythm and in step and in cadence with the Holy Spirit. And that looks different for different people. But what I do think is important, no matter who you are, is that you consciously think about it. That becomes the front of your mind, the front of your budget, not the back end. For Jaleesa and I, we've committed that we tithe. 10% of what we make goes to the mission and work and kingdom of God in our church. We're a part of Ridge Church, so we tithe to Ridge Church. And maybe for you, it's not that right now. Maybe, Maybe for you, it's something different. But, but my point is simply this. Worship can feel like sacrifice because giving can feel like sacrifice. It can hurt to say, I'm not going to buy the thing I want. I'm not going to go out for dinner again. I'm not going to go shopping again. I'm not going to do the nice vacation. I'm going to give. I'm going to sacrifice. 
I'm going to start to use my mind to look at where can God use my money to bless and advance the kingdom? Where can I partner with what God is doing? And so my question for you today is what does generosity look like for you? And maybe you have an active practice of generosity already and maybe you don't. And maybe for you it's the widow's might. Maybe for you you don't have a ton of money. Maybe for you you're in a season where paying rent is a win. And that's okay. What God is inviting you to is generosity that matches up with you and where you are and what's happening. But he is calling you to give sacrificially. Or maybe you're like the rich young ruler. Maybe you have a lot of money and you got great behavior and you might give and you might do those things. But God is saying, hey, you might hit a certain number that makes you feel okay, but it's not about a certain number. It's about your heart posture because you will not accidentally become generous. I wish I could say you would. I wish we could stumble into generosity, but the unfortunate reality is that we must actively determine and decide to move towards it. Maybe that's beginning to tithe for the first time. Maybe that's saying that I'm not going to wait until after things are paid to give and participate in the mission of God. Maybe it's giving your first fruits back to God in partnership. It's giving back to God what is God for the sake of the kingdom. Maybe it's bringing your giving beyond 10%. Maybe it's letting go of this idea that giving and generosity is about a number that we can say, okay, I did enough, so I'm done. I did it. Or I got to the spot I need to for my tax receipts at the end of the year to get that great tax return. Maybe it's about taking it to the next level. Maybe it's about sitting down with your spouse and saying, hey, where could God be allowing us to be more generous? What part of God's mission and work in the world, whether it's here in Maple Ridge, whether it's somewhere overseas, whether it's somewhere else in Canada, maybe church planning, maybe missions, maybe parachurch, maybe just good work that's being done by people. Maybe it's something like that. Maybe it's your time. Maybe you need to serve somewhere. Maybe you've got, you know, uh, no problem giving financially, but you're not interested in serving. Maybe God's inviting you to start to tithe with yourself, with your gifts, with your talents. Maybe it's just beginning. Um, If you're a young adult, if you're like my age or younger, and you're a broke college student whose life has been totally derailed by COVID-19, I see you. I understand that you may be feeling super stressed out right now and like, I don't have money to give. I like work part-time at Starbucks and I'm in college and I've lived with my parents. What am I supposed to give? I want you to know the pressure's off. But what I am inviting you to is to consider what is God calling you to give? Because God does care about your money. Because God does care about what we do with our bank accounts. He's inviting it. He's inviting us into it. And here's the deal. The sooner we start, the easier it becomes a pattern. We talked about patterns a couple of weeks ago. Um, I remember I was with my mentor one time. We were talking to someone who said, oh, we don't have a lot of money. We're going to be generous later. Um, We don't make a ton right now. We'll be generous later. And they said this phrase, and and I kind of went, okay, it's awkward. I'm not going to talk about money. And my mentor leans in. He says, hey, if you're not generous with $10,000, I don't think you're going to be generous with $100,000. If you can't be generous with a little who says you're going to be generous with a lot? Because here's the problem. I'm an expert at this. Maybe you are too. No matter how much more I have, I always find something else to spend it on. (laughs) Right? Back in the day, I was excited if Jaleesa and I could go for dinner once a month. It was so exciting. But now we make more money. We're more secure. We pay our rent every month. But guess what? I find ways to spend my money that aren't generous. If you aren't generous with $10,000, would you be generous with $100,000? 
See, the scarcity mindset ignores the kindness, goodness, and provision of God. And what I'm not saying is to use your credit card or use your student loans to give. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying. Don't spend money you don't have. But what we are experts at is convincing ourselves that we'll be generous later. And what God is inviting us to is to partner with him now, not later, not 10 years down the road, not at a certain marker, not at a certain time. He's inviting us to partner with him now. What we are invited to is to worship the God who has provided for our every need, spiritual and physical, and to get ourselves in a rhythm with what the Holy Spirit is doing. The question that our hearts begin to ask is not how much do I have to give, but how much can I give? What would happen if the Holy Spirit transformed us so much that we took on the desires of Christ that doesn't say, well, what do I have to do? Well, what's the number that I have to meet? What's the percentage point? What, what do I have to do? What if we stopped asking that question and we started asking, what could I do? How could I partner with what God is doing in the world? How could I honor God who's given everything for me with my money? How could I set up my life in a way? How could I make financial decisions to make more money? Not so that I can have more stuff, but that so I can partner with Jesus more and more. The question we have to ask is not how much do I have to, but rather how much can I? Why? Because as we close this series, as we close the letter of the Philippians, that's been all about this idea of imitating Jesus, we need to understand that Jesus' greatest act was one of generosity. That what Jesus did on the cross and in the resurrection is the ultimate picture of generosity. I want to read from you earlier in Philippians. Here's what it says in chapter 2. Have this mind among yourselves, Paul writes, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But, but in the ultimate act of giving, in the ultimate act of generosity, in the ultimate act of kindness, but Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus wasn't worried about a new lazy boy. He was worried about what would it take to do God's will, to bring about God's kingdom. That is the king we serve. That is why we give. That is why sacrificial giving of our finances is an act of worship to Jesus, not a rule that make God love you more. That's what we're invited to. And we're going to celebrate communion in a minute. And it's a celebration of God's kindness and generosity. God so loved the world, he gave. That's what we celebrate. And the other week, we celebrated baptisms where people said, here's how God showed up and gave his love to me. Whether it's a teenager who's in high school who's discovering that for the first time, whether it's someone from a different country learning that Jesus loves her, whatever the story is. If you believe that Jesus loves you, if you've experienced the generosity of God, we want to invite you, get baptized. Make the statement before your family, your friends, the world, that I believe in what Jesus has done for me, that the ultimate act of generosity has changed me. Make that decision, because that's what Jesus is calling you to. And on August 15th, we have another baptism service. And so if that's something you're considering, reach out, talk to us. We'd love to get you plugged in with that. But as we close today, we're going to celebrate communion. That Jesus' love was so great that his determination to do the will of God was so set 
and that he laid down his life for us to be set free from the power of sin, Satan, and death. His body was broken and his blood was shed because he gave himself for us. So if you've got your elements, we invite you now. Firstly, the bread. While they were eating, the Bible tells us Jesus took the bread. He gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. Let's take together. And then he took the cup. And after he had given thanks, he offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Let's remember the gift and generosity of Christ together. Dear Jesus, we love you. We thank you that you loved us so much that you didn't just give 10%, you didn't give just what you were supposed to, you didn't give what was left over, but you gave everything for us. We thank you for that truth, that that's the promise of the gospel. I pray today that for each one of us that you would transform our hearts into hearts that are hearts of generosity. You would transform our minds to not think about what I need and how I can protect myself, but rather about what I could give how I could be generous, where I could partner with you and what you're already doing, Jesus. I thank you so much for the way that you love us and for the way that you love each person. Thank you that your love for us is not based on a dollar amount, that you celebrate the widow's might, that you celebrate the woman who gave a little bit of perfume simply to honor and glorify you. We thank you for that truth, Jesus. And so we celebrate today that you gave your life for us on the cross and that that is the greatest gift, that is the greatest generosity, and that's what's changed our lives. And so Jesus, we thank you for that truth today. Pray that we'd rest in that, and I pray that you would convict us of where we need to be generous. Convict us of where we have an idol of money. Convict us of where we're manipulating you with our giving, and and God, invite us in to partner with what you're doing for the sake of the kingdom, that our city would know Jesus It's in your name that we pray all these things, Jesus. Amen.